0: All right, good morning. If you would turn in with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians, for the last time in this series anyway. And as you heard, we have a shortened message this morning, so I get a challenge in front of me to finish us early on time. Um, so we're going to jump right into it. No time for macaroons this morning, I'm kind of bummed to say but uh, if there's one thing you remember, and I'm working on this little mic pack that clip came off. If there's one thing you remember from last week, I hope it's not the macaroons. I hope it's the mnemonic jackpot. Do you remember that? Jackpot. Joyful, prayerful, thankful. Because we're to be joyful always. We're to pray continually and we're to give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for us in Christ. And so I hope you're able to remember that and put it into practice more than ever last week, and even more this coming week as we grow in that spiritual discipline. So last week we also talked about spiritual fitness, kind of compared it to physical fitness, some of the similarities. If you want to motivate an athlete to keep pushing forward, especially when it's tough, when your muscles are burning, when you're tired. When there's resistance. And one thing you might say is, keep your eyes on the prize, right? You hear this a lot. Keep your eyes on the prize. Well, a long time before that saying was popular, there was another saying. It's a scripture verse, and it's Philippians 3.14. And it says this, with my eyes fixed on the goal, I push on to secure the prize of God's heavenward call in Christ Jesus. It's right there. That's the, a little different translation. That's called the Weymouth New Testament translation. The Sommerfeld translation says it this way, <laughs> keep your eyes on God's prize. <laughs> and this is exactly what our text is going to be pointing to this morning. Keep your eyes on God's prize. And so as we wrap up the book of 1 Thessalonians, we'll be in 2 Thessalonians the next time, But in 1 Thessalonians, the message titled this morning is The End Result. And we're going to be in verses, chapter 5, verses 23 through 28. Two quick parts, a faithful finish in verses 23 and 24. And that's where we're going to spend almost all of our time. And then a fervent and very fast farewell in those last few verses. And with that, we'll close out the book. So let's just read through these final six verses and then we'll jump right in. So beginning in verse 23, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with the holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And with that, it ends. And so I want to look first at a faithful finish. And that's starting in verse 23. This is the close of Paul's letter. And he starts by reminding them of just who God is. He says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. He closed out his letter to the Romans a similar way. Say, God of peace be with you all. Amen. And the writer of Hebrews said, may the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. God is the God of peace and he's reminding us of this. But he's not the God of peace in the way some people may think of it. He didn't come to bring peace to all the nations on earth. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, said this, do not suppose I have come to bring peace to the earth. How's that? He said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. These are the words of the Prince of Peace. Here's the thing. The gospel message is polarizing. It divides people. Why do you think there's such a cultural battle going on in our world today? Because the gospel divides people. You may even feel that within your own family. Family members that don't agree with you. That take real issue with where you stand on various things, especially the Lord. So why such division? Because the primary purpose of Jesus coming was not to bring peace between human beings. But to bring peace between human beings and God. It's a vertical peace, not a horizontal one. In Romans 5, 1 said, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. A vertical peace. The gospel brings peace between us who believe in God, but here's the hard part. It sets us at odds with people who don't believe. The gospel divides. And so verse 23 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. To sanctify, as Dan mentioned in the welcome, means to set apart. And it's a close relative to the word saint, which means one who is sanctified or set apart. Now here's where these two thoughts come together. You can't set some apart without dividing them from others. In other words, you can't have sanctification without separation. We tend to think that division and separation is a bad thing. But it's not always bad. Think for a moment about a water treatment plant. (laughs) The whole point is separation. You have contaminated water flowing in and you have purified water coming out. Once the water is purified, you have to keep it separate. You can think of it as sanctified water. It's set apart. Here's a key point. Jesus came to purify us and to set us apart from those who don't believe, to sanctify us. So stop trying so hard to fit in. You're not going to. In fact, you shouldn't fit in. If you fit in, there's a problem. You're not sanctified. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't interact with unbelievers. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we shouldn't act like unbelievers. Jesus said, Be in the world, but not of the world. And he also said this He said, They, his followers, are not of the world, even as I am not. And then he said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The word should set us apart. He wants us to be sanctified, set apart from the world. And so verse 23 continues. He says, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. By spirit, soul, body. He's saying all of you, the whole you, immaterial and material. And and that includes your body. And this is important because Um, It says the timing of this is at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So remember when we talked about this in chapter 4, verse 16 said, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. That's speaking about the resurrection of their bodies to be united with their souls, which are with Christ and to meet up with him. Body and soul. And then the next verse, verse 17, says, After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That's talking about the rapture of the church. Those who Christians who are still alive, body and soul will be caught up to meet with the Lord. So whether we're dead or alive... When the Lord returns for his church, all of his believers will meet with him face to face, spirit, soul, and body. And when that happens, the desire that this verse is pointing out is that every part of us would be sanctified, set apart, holy, even blameless through and through, it says, completely faultless. Now, if you had just a few words to describe yourself, you ever do like a job interview and they give us like 10 words that describe you? Would blameless be one of them? Or holy? I'm Paul, I'm holy. (laughs) (laughs) You're fire. (laughs) You don't get the (laughs) job. You're a liar. I would be more prone to use a word like sinner or wretched. That, that would be closer to the truth. But God's will is that we'd be sanctified through and through, even blameless. Well, now look at what the next verse says, verse 24. It says, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Okay, that should probably raise some questions. And if it doesn't, I'm going to raise them for you. In the last two chapters, Paul's been hammering away at what you and I should be doing in terms of holiness. Turn back one page to chapter 4, verse 3. It says, God's will for you is that you should be sanctified. And then it gives us this list of things that we should be doing. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should, should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Okay, that's what we should be doing. But now we go forward to verse 24 of a text and it says, the one who called you is faithful and he will do it. Okay, so which is it? Do I need to work at this? Or do I just need to wait for God to do it for me? What's my role? Now, someone might kind of carnally think, maybe I'll just sit around and enjoy sin for a while while I wait for Christ to return and make me blameless. I mean, isn't that kind of how our human mind rationalizes stuff? I'm not holy yet. Come on, God. It's your problem. So what's going on here? Whose responsibility is this sanctification, this growth in godliness? Is it something we need to do or is it something God does for us? What the answer is, it depends. It depends because there are different stages of sanctification. Some of which God alone does. And some of which we must do in God's strength. And so I'm, I'm a visual learner. I try to put together a diagram that's going to totally answer all your questions about sanctification and probably fail. But here is my diagram. And I hope that this is helpful. This is going to be, oh, look, I'm behind. This is going to be a chart that shows this whole process of sanctification. And on the left, the vertical axis is going to be our holiness going from evil and ungodly at the bottom all the way up to godly at the top. And by godly, I mean sinless perfection. Okay, and the horizontal axis is going to be time. Starting at birth and going on to the return of Christ when we meet him face to face. And so at the moment you and I were born, we already had a sin nature. We were unclean. It was passed on to us by our fathers and our fathers' fathers all the way back to Adam. We were born sinful. So we start down here. As low as you can go in terms of holiness. But when we confess our sin and put our faith in Christ, he cleanses us completely. And at that moment of salvation, we are positionally justified. We are positionally sanctified. God sees us as sinless. When he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of his son that's been, the big word imputed, it's been transferred to you. God doesn't see your son, he sees Christ. It doesn't mean you are sinless. You're not. You're treated as though you're sinless. So this is called positional sanctification, or some use the word justification. You're justified. You're treated just as if I'd never sinned at all. Justified. That happens immediately. And I've outlined it with the dashed line to just show. This isn't really where we are, but this is how God sees us. Justified. And so on a practical level, as soon as we're saved, we do become a little more like Christ. I think right away, some of our formal, former sinful tendencies go away. We're nowhere near christ-like but we've we've changed almost immediately and so as we go on through our christian life we should be growing more and more and more like christ we never get even close to the sinless perfection of christ but there should be progress in that direction. And so this is called progressive sanctification. It's a process. And this is what Paul was talking about in chapter four, when he writes, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable and on and on and on. You should be doing this and this and this and this. You should be growing in your faith. It's speaking of progressive sanctification. Remember last week, we talked about spiritual fitness The Bible says, train yourselves to be godly. It's a workout. It takes effort. But God's given us all the equipment to do it. And when we seek him, when we get into his word, when we call upon his help by the spirit, he changes us. He grows us. But it takes our work and effort. Growing old is inevitable. That line's going to move to the right. But growing up. Is optional. We had very little to do with our salvation. We got a lot to do with our progressive sanctification. And the fact is some people get lazy and stagnate, even fall backwards in their godliness. Hebrews chapter 5 says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elemental truths of the word of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. In other words, you need to go back to Sunday school. You haven't learned it yet. He's chiding them for not growing. And this wasn't God's fault. Now here's a key point. We can't do this on our own, but God will not do it without us. We have to pursue it. We have to ask him for his strength. And when we do, he does that work in us. So when a believer stops growing in godliness or even take steps backwards, it's never God's fault. It's their own fault. They've chosen to put out the Spirit's fire. Remember last week, throw a fire blanket over it. The Spirit's trying to purify a fire blanket, put it out. That's our fault. And God holds us responsible for pursuing growth. And when we do, He gives us the power to achieve it. So we'll come back to this in a moment. Back to our text, verse 23. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So what is this referring to? This is referring to the last stage of our sanctification. When Christ returns, and we stand before him, whether in resurrection or in rapture, All believers will be there before him. And so if we go back to our chart, when Christ returns, he will completely sanctify us. We will be like Christ, incorruptible, no longer able to sin. This is called final sanctification or some people refer to it as glorification. God will do that. So we have positional sanctification, where we're declared righteous. We have progressive sanctification, where we gradually become more righteous. And we have final sanctification, where we are are completely righteous. Justification, sanctification, glorification. That's the process for those who are in Christ. The end result, we will be like Christ. On some of the ancient tombs in and around Thessalonica archaeologists have found inscribed on the walls of those tombs the Greek word amemptos, which is in verse 23 of our text and it's translated blameless. What a beautiful truth to have inscribed on your tomb, blameless. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. And when we are resurrected or raptured to meet up with him, we will be completely blameless. Okay, so the next question I have, if God declares us blameless when we're saved, and he makes us fully blameless when he returns, why do we have to work on sanctification now? Why not just live however we want and wait for Christ's return? Again, it's our human rationalization. I think like this. I don't know about you, but I think through these things. Here's why, because God wants us to pursue sanctification now so that we can serve him effectively right now in this life. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'll read verses 20 and 21. It says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Well think about how gold and silver that it mentions can be fashioned into something beautiful to the master, used only for the most noble purposes like a chalice or jewelry or a crown. And then by contrast it mentions wood and clay. Well in our day and age material materials have changed a little bit. I'll call it Plastic and porcelain. (laughs) Okay? Plastic is kind of can be used as a trash can. Porcelain, you know what that's used for. (laughs) These are ignoble things, and Webster's defines ignoble as dishonorable, shameful, even immoral. Ignoble things. Gold and silver versus plastic and porcelain. A treasure versus a trash can. A treasure versus a toilet. This is the difference between being set apart and sanctified for God and not. So do the things we say glorify God our king? Or is it trash talk? Is it toilet talk? See, that's the difference in sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4.7, we just read it. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. The fact that God will completely sanctify us is no excuse for us to say, I'll oh, just wait till that happens. After all, I am saved. No, God wants you to do more than just save you. He wants to use you. He wants to work through you. So he calls us to a holy life so that we can serve him effectively now. He wants us to be a reflection of who he is. So other people will see and be drawn to the beauty of our Savior. We can't do that if we look and sound and act just like the world. So we're to pursue holiness now. We've got to stop trying to fit in. We're not going to fit in. We shouldn't fit in. We should be different. We should be, take joy in that. And when Christ returns, he'll finish the process because he is faithful. It'll be a faithful finish. Praise God. We'll be blameless. So he moves on then and a fervent farewell. And this will be a really fast farewell. He says in verse 25, brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with the holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Well, Paul was writing for Corinth, from Corinth where he was teaching another young church. And he's writing to the Thessalonians where he got driven out by persecution just three weeks after that church was founded. And he says, brothers, pray for us. He needed their fervent prayer. Even the apostles needed the fervent prayer of the churches. Pray for us. We're doing spiritual battle in Corinth. The world is against us. God is for us. Pray for us. Be on the winning team. And you see that? Family term again, brothers pray for us. And, and, he says, and, and he says, greet all the brothers with the holy kiss. There's this fervent love for the brothers. There's this affection for these brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul cares deeply for them. So we have fervent prayers, we have fervent love. And then his desire for them is fervent growth. He gives them this command to have this letter read to all the brothers. Now Paul, as he's writing this, he knows is isn't just my thing. is isn't just my letter. He knew the spirit of God was speaking through him. It was inspired. What he was writing was scripture and he knew it. Remember what Jesus said? Sanctify them by your what? Yeah, your truth. Your word is truth. On an earthly level, nothing will play a greater role in our sanctification than the word of God. It's the spirit of God working through the word of God in the life of the child of God. That's how we grow. We need to be in the word of God. Sanctify him by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify him by your word, as some of you said. So we need to take care to study And apply this. This is why we teach the word of God week after week. So that we can learn and grow. And we'll get to talk about some of that. That we see that growth in the family meeting in just a bit. So the word of God is the power of God. Not only for salvation. But for sanctification. And that's our responsibility. That process of growth. All of this is only possible by the grace of God. And that's how he ends. May the grace of God be with you. So, let's do a quick wrap up. Short format today. Keep your eyes on God's prize, it's what will encourage you to keep moving forward through trials and difficult times. We need to fix our eyes and our minds on things above, not things below. Things below are passing away. Keep your eyes on God's prize. Jesus came to purify us and set us apart. The gospel divides people. It has to. It divides us. God doesn't want us to be just like them. We're called to be sanctified, to be holy, to be set apart. Growth in godliness in this life takes work on our part. We can't do it without him. It's his power. But he won't do it without us. He won't force that upon us. We have to seek him. We don't want to throw a blanket on the spirit's fire. The Lord wants to use that fire to purify us. And when he returns, he'll finish that process completely. And finally, God wants us to be holy so that we can serve him now. He wants us to be a reflection of his son Jesus right now. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we we want to be instruments of your noble purposes. We want to be holy and useful to you, God, because you're our Lord, you're our master. And God, take this word, your word, and use it in our lives to change us, to grow us, to transform us. God, don't let us be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't let us be pressed into their mold. God, let us be different. Let us be holy. Let us be sanctified. Let us be like Jesus. We want people to see him in us because, God, we want them to glorify you. So help us in that. We want to serve you well, God. Help us to work hard at this. And as we do, transform us by your power. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.